make an energetic connection with them. And don't assume that everything's okay without formulating a question or ask, sending me to ask, ask them a question. Unmuted. Emergency. Okay? That's all I wanted to say. All right? All right. You're on BBS Radio. We love you, man. Sorry about that. Go as long as you want. Thank you. No time hello, limits. Hello my fault. My video. fault. My fault. Kill the producer. All right. So, um, I mean, if you notice, if the people that keep asking questions on Wednesday or that are volunteering, now Jennifer is volunteering, okay? But Bonnie asks a lot of questions. And um, it starts to build a rapport, a, a vibratory connection when you do that. And uh, it's good to do it just to make the connection. And that's all. Go ahead and give it a start. Hi. All right. The recording has started. So here we are. Happy Monday night. It is November the 15th, a Monday evening episode. We're going to listen to a replay from June the 15th, 2020. And I'm going to cut a little deeper into that, Vin, as we don't have enough time left. Okay. Mute yourself. I'll mute you. Is it start? So we have about three minutes of what I call interdimensional into BBS radio. contribution to this. This is uh, south of St. Cloud, close uh-huh. to St. Cloud. Hibbing is my main town that I visited in Minnesota when I was younger, and I went to visit Bob Dylan's parents, some of the people. Arizona. Ariel, good evening. How are you doing? I'm very good. All right. Welcome to the call. Vin, back to you. Ariel. Ariel. Ariel, are you in Jerome? Yes. Is that Ariel, who I know, with Glenn? It's Cariel, no. I don't think you know me. (laughs) <laughs> Hi, Carrie. All right, it's about it's about fifteen miles, no, about twenty miles from Sedona. One, one day, order. one day I'm going to take Sorry. my computer. One day I'm going to take this, and we've talked about that. They think of it as just a transition, and that we're going to continue, and we're going to come back and have more lifetimes, and it's no big deal. This is one lifetime. In many. Of course, when you're in this realm, the way they describe it is that the illusion of this realm makes us think that when our body disappears, that maybe we are no more. And then, of course, the other question is if we do continue, where do we go? And of course, religions say, 
that there's heaven and hell and there's all these different places. And um, we really can't know how it really works in this realm because we can't see those other realms. And last week, um, we had an experience where someone passed away who was someone I would call him a friend, and Terry was very, very close friend to him. And he's one of those people, I'll tell you a little bit about him. <laughs> Are you there, Terry? Terry? Yeah. Okay. Hopefully, we won't, we won't start crying in this show, but if we do, just forgive us because it's part of the grief that all of us experience when somebody disappears. And of course, maybe the grief is not just because they died, but because the way that they contributed to us while we were alive is no longer going to be contributed. And so if somebody meant something to us, then we lose that contribution in this realm. And so grief is part of that. And how much do prayers work? How much does being with them when they die? Uh, What should we be thinking when we're about to die. We're all going to die, no matter how much we talk about making our life more successful in this realm and more joyous, which are all very good goals. This is something that should be of interest to everybody to know how to die and what creates a better death. So, the gentleman's name is John Sanborn, and John and Terry have been friends for probably how many years, Terry? Uh, since about the nineteen seventy uh two. Nineteen seventy two. And John was a writer and he was one of those people that was I put him in the Robert Frost, and Robert Frost accepted him, not as an equal, but as someone that he had some respect. John used to go to Breadloaf, and I believe Robert Frost uh, had something to do with Breadloaf, which I believe is a school, and um, John used to go up to uh, Robert Frost's cabin, and um, Robert Frost made a uh, a poem for John, and he wrote it in the front of one of his poetry books, and uh, he gave it to John. I think that poem is now part of uh, the main body of work of Robert Frost. And John uh, loved jazz, and he knew a lot of the top uh, jazz performers uh, including uh, Steve Hofstetter, who has a 19-piece for Soul Band, 
and he um, plays for clubs and restaurants around Pasadena area, and he has records out. Steve Hofstetter, uh, jazz musician extraordinaire. Um, and so uh, where John lived, uh, sometimes somebody would be playing uh, music uh, and all the, like rock or something, and all that would come through to John's little trailer was woom, 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 woom. And he, you know, you couldn't hear the highs or anything. And John said he'd rather die than uh, listen to that music. And uh, it didn't go on all the time. He lived in a really beautiful little place by the creek, Oak Creek. And uh, he was very a uh, loving person, and he had a full range of emotional tones, so he could get angry, or he could get lovable, or he could get joyous, or he could get sad and griefy, and um, he had a history of um, where he was uh, in the in the Navy um, on PT on PT boat seventy seven. And about a week and a half ago, he told me about the story about how when he was on the PT boat, the um, like the PT boat was bombed. Uh, it was actually friendly fire, and he was um, badly injured with a uh, lot of bomb fragments in his neck and in his leg. And uh, somebody said, don't mind him, he's dead. Um, and then somebody else came around later, and John said um, he was still alive. He said to them, uh, I'm not going to open my eyes uh, unless you promise to take us back to land. <laughs> um, so they used to... Um, they they did. They took him back to land. They took the boat back, and uh, they put him in the hospital there on the shore. And the kamikaze planes called the PT boats the devil boats. And they would send the kamikaze planes on suicide missions to attack the boat, to dive bomb into them, to destroy them. And when they would do that... Uh, Sandy Trudinick was the skipper, and John might be in the wheelhouse. And Sandy and John had a strategy for avoiding the collision with the kamikaze plane, the zero plane, and it would be aimed straight at their boat. And when they would turn the boat toward the plane and sit there idle in the water, until the plane was totally committed and couldn't change its course. And then they'd whip the wheel around, and the plane would go into the water next to the boat. And um, they, this was a very good way of avoiding getting hit by a kamikaze plane. Well, 
after John got bombed by friendly fire, he said friendly fire was hard because you couldn't shoot back um, because it was our plane. And um, they they had gone out in the water uh, during this big battle. And the planes, it was a cross-communication. The planes had the order to shoot everything out of the water that was out there. And one plane came over, and on the radio, the plane said, is that a little martini boat down there? And uh, the boat radio operator said, yes. And she said, get out of there. We've got orders to shoot everything out of the water down there. And uh, then the second plane came along and bombed them. Well, so they took the boat back, repaired it, and put John in the hospital. And they sent the boat back out. And the PT boat, PT-77, um, were out to sea. And a kamikaze plane came a little too close. And all the whole crew realized that they were going to get hit. And so they all jumped overboard. And uh, they were all saved. Well, John heard the announcement from the hospital that the PT Boat 77 was hit. And so he thought all of his friends were dead. And so he um, was going away to get some food at the canteen. And he came back to the hospital. And when he walked in the hospital, uh, he said all 15 of the... um, guys from the PT-77 boat were in the hospital there and they were all beaming at him because he thought they were all dead and they were all beaming because they had something over on them because they'd all survived. And so he, he when he told me that a couple of weeks ago, he was just crying because he was so happy to see all those guys that they had survived. Um, so um, he heard a lot of good stories about his poems. Um, he had a lot of good friends and a lot of good memories. He was responsible for a lot of the books that were uh, published and edited in Scientology. He had put together the 08 book, and he put together the Auditor series, the Red on White. He put together the admin series, the administration series, and uh, he had added lots of the books and gotten a whole crew together to help edit and to publish books. He went to England and Scotland and worked with the organization in publishing books. He was a really extraordinarily good writer. And uh, when I added... He actually... actually, uh... Read the reincarnation of Edgar Casey when we were doing it, and uh, added his own thoughts about it. I think we we took some of his thoughts and made some changes, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Like uh, there would be a whole paragraphs, like at the beginning or other parts of the book, where they didn't seem to hang together right, and I'd take them to John. And I'd read them to him, and John would either make suggestions on how to make them better, or he'd say, trash the whole thing and start over. Um, 
uh, because there's nothing to work with. <laughs> oh, I, um, I, w- I would say that when we were writing that book, you know, John is an extraordinary writer, and I guess part of what he wanted was to be successful as a writer himself. And he never became that, except perhaps for the stuff he did with uh, um, Ron Hubbard. And I'm not a Ron Hubbard supporter, but John actually put his heart into that. and was there at the very beginning of that organization and probably made quite a difference in the way it grew. And John was a, a genius in his own way. and. In recent times, um, he was living in Sedona, and he was living here because Terry moved him here, and he's 88 years old. And um, basically, living kind of as a recluse, and every day, his main thing was to go to the health food store, and he became friends with all the employees, like this gnarly guy who would walk through the store and... Everyone knew him. He cut a very striking, energetic image. And he worked really, he really, how would I say it? He created a lot of affinity with the people there. Now, Terry had the idea that John might have been Socrates in one of his lifetimes because a lot of his philosophy things that he would say were very similar to Socrates. And Socrates had a similar aspect to him where he was very much a loner. And he would go, if you've ever read the history of Greece and Athens, he would go into the public places and schmooze with the people in public places. And he would kind of get a following. He would sit down, I guess, at the cafes or or wherever people could sit down, and young people would sit down around him, and he would kind of engage them in such a way as to force himself to make wise observations in their lives. And he never wrote anything, except Plato was one of the young people, and Plato then wrote about Socrates after Socrates died. And, of course, Socrates died because he was corrupting the youth, and he was... Um, he was accused of corrupting the youth. He was accused of corrupting the youth, and the state poisoned him. And he, he, he went... His, his students wanted to save him, but he wouldn't allow himself to be saved. He said, well, I'm going to follow the law, so they want me to die. Um then fine. And for a period, I thought Terry was just off the deep end. But then when I started, I got to know John better um, in in Sedona. And getting to know John was quite a challenge for me. Getting him to like me or getting us to connect with each other was a challenge because for a good period of our knowingness, he felt competitive with me because I was getting a book published and he had always wanted to be recognized and so he dealt with me kind of adversarially. And I don't think that that was the reason 
Why? Because I was obnoxious. Well, I was obnoxious. That was part of the reason he felt that. Because I was obnoxious. I didn't know how to create a common ground with John. And, of course, we were doing all this metaphysical stuff, and I didn't know. But, in, but one time I went over to his house, and in his older age, he was getting senile, and his memory was getting um, 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 defective. And he was reading me something he wrote, and we had talked about the interdimensional stuff that was happening between Terry and myself, and he would always refer to it as the sky people. What are the sky people saying? And um, then he was reading something he wrote, and in the middle of it, there's this one sentence that said, I'm not raw unless you are too. And I said, what was that? And he looked at me confused. He didn't know where that came from. Well, obviously, they they made a connection with him. And somehow, in, in the recesses of his unconscious, that sentence came through. And they were trying to tell him. One of the things that people think when they think of um, sources in other realms is they think they're giving up their power, they're going to be some huge source that's going to tell you what to do, and um, people like John and even myself are very, how can I say it, um, self, uh, self-propelled, you know, um, don't want anything to have authority over us, and it took me a while to realize that that they did not want to have authority over me or anyone else. They just wanted to be help us from their realm. So they were kind of, somehow they found a space in John's consciousness to bring that message through. <laughs> I'm not raw unless you are too. And I think that's true for everyone listening. These guys are us. The universe is one energy. And that when you can connect to the oneness of everything, um, you realize that it's just an expanded part of you. And some of you, you can now you can say that in your mind, but some of you have actually had the experience and understand that that's the case, that you've learned to have these energetic friends in other dimensions. And so... Um, I was like blown away when John read me that, and then, you know, over the past months, we have actually gotten in. We had actually made a good connection. I would, you know, Terry would probably go over and visit him. She'd talk to him an hour a day. I wasn't like controlling that connection or that relationship. I was not. I wanted her to actually connect with him. And in fact, I started calling him and saying, how's it going, John? What's going on? And um, and I was really enjoying the connection. And then last week, um, I had called John just to check on him, and there was no answer. And uh, usually when there was no answer, then he was in the health food store. So I went, I was in the coffee shop next door to the health food store, 
And I went over to the health food store, and he wasn't there. And I called Terry, and I said, I think something's wrong. John's not home, and he's not in the health food store. And what happened was he was leaving his little complex. He was living in a little trailer park complex, and he hit a building driving out. We don't know why. Either um, he went unconscious or something went wrong with the car or he stepped on the gas instead of the brake and he hit the building and the seatbelt broke three of his ribs. And the next thing we know, he's in the hospital in Flagstaff, which is 30 miles from here. And um, Terry went there and started doing a vigil with him. And what Terry experienced is the reason I decided to make this the topic of this call. There we go. I got some tears. And uh, Terry, do you want to share that? It's I'm just gauging the time. It's 7:32. By the way, somebody emailed me, and they said. Last week, I cut Terry off because we were going to do a channeling. We only had a few minutes left. And um, so if anyone um, thinks that I cut her off because I was being rude, I'm sorry that I gave that um, idea. But I know people look forward to hearing messages from the Sky people <laughs> on these calls. And uh, so that's why I did it. I apologize to Terry and anyone who thought that that was um, um, impolite. In any case, I'm not going to cut you off, Terry. Uh, although, right. if you feel like we can do a channeling about this, and if not, you know, we have about 7:33. We have about 20 minutes left. Why don't you tell people what happened and what you experienced in the hospital in Flagstaff? Okay, well, it's called Flagstaff Medical Center, and I went up there. Um, the police um, wouldn't uh, talk to anybody except uh, Jane, who is John's daughter. And so uh, they called Jane, and Jane said she was going to fly in. But I went up there, um, and I got there. I wanted to go the, the, that night. However, and I was getting stuff ready to go. However, by that time, it was uh, probably quarter to 12 at night. The accident happened about 4, and I found out about it about 6. And so I was still getting ready to go up there, And uh, but it seemed so dark and so late at night that uh, it seemed like I shouldn't um, be driving that far. and. It might be unsafe to drive up there alone the lonely road. So I waited until next day, and I got up there, and uh, John was still on the breathing tube, and they said he was sta- he had stabilized. He came in critical, but then he had stabilized. So they had him in intensive care, and they had him all hooked up uh, to all of these monitors that monitored his heart, his heart rate, his blood pressure, Um, there was about 12 things that they were monitoring, and uh, so 
I talked to the nurse and said that um, they were going to try and take out the breathing tube and have him breathe on his own. So um, he couldn't really talk, but he was very alert. And um, I had uh, brought some papers with me uh, for his insurance policy that he had to sign. So um, I talked to him and well, he, he first of all he wanted uh, he wanted a piece of paper. He was he couldn't talk because of the breathing tube and stuff. So he made a motion of writing, like he he wanted me to give him a pen and a surface to write on it and a, and some paper. So I I got him that, and he wrote, "Tell me." tell me what happened. So he, he wrote, tell me on the paper. And so I told him what I knew of what had happened. And um, then uh, the bunch of nurses came in and uh, they were going to take out the breathing tube. And um, they were uh, like joking with him. After they took out the breathing tube, he started to be able to talk. and. Um, like they said, okay, we're gonna, well, we're gonna like he he had not told his lower teeth and his jaw, it, like his lower lip had been cut, like as he hit the steering wheel. He in the accident, he'd hit the building and actually the bumper had gone through a six-inch cement walk wall, and his face hit the steering wheel and the and the safety belt broke his ribs. Uh, so he was having a hard time breathing uh, because his ribs were in the wrong place. They were dislocated. And um, so they cleaned, they had had uh, wired his job, wired his teeth back in and wired his job. And, but so he was starting to be able to talk and um, I um I had had him sign the papers before they took out the breathing tube and he was like guiding me to guide his hand to know where to start writing and he wrote his name on through the papers and then I went during the rest time when the place was closed to visitors I went and I faxed him to the insurance company and then I went back um but in the afternoon before the rest time, the three nurses came in and they said, all right, we want to clean up your chin. And he says, why? And they said, because you're ugly and uh, we want to clean the blood off your chin. <laughs> she says, I don't care if I'm ugly. And then they were moving him around in the bed and he said, why are you doing that? And uh, they said, because we want to get some blood circulating through your butt. And he says, oh, you like bloody butts. And, you know, he was, he was just this humor. They said, they turned to me and said, is, is this normal behavior for him? And I said, yes. And so they were um, talking, and uh, and he was using very big words with them, which he always does. I mean, he had a huge vocabulary and a genius IQ. And so one nurse said, wow, he has a 
really big vocabulary. And uh, by this time, his daughter Jane had arrived, and Jane said, um, yes, he's one of the smartest men I ever met. And uh, so he was he was uh, joking around, and, and uh, since he was doing that, joking with the nurses and stuff, I thought, you know, I thought, wow, you know, this is a really good sign. And everybody was figuring he was stabilizing and he was going to make it um, through this and and heal. So I told him, I, I said, your job is to heal. And um, it's like he was taking instructions. He was following the instructions and nodding that he understood them and stuff. And uh, he did say, you know, he said, don't you guys have any pain medication? And they said, um, you're on pain medication. And he said, doesn't your pain medication work? And so they upped his pain medication until they reached the point where he wasn't in pain anymore. But that made him groggy. And um, he kind of slept a lot. So, uh, the next day, uh, he was alert in the morning, and Jane was with him all morning, and in the afternoon, he became unresponsive, and so then all the monitors and everything showed that he wasn't expelling the air, and his CO2 rate, his body was not getting enough oxygen because it wasn't expelling the CO2 and he couldn't breathe deep enough to get the air out to because of the broken ribs. They were just moved right into the middle of his chest. And uh, so they the, the hospital um, gave us, like when I went back, Jane told me that the hospital had indicated it was bad news that he wasn't going to make it. And they gave him 24 to 48 hours that his body was shutting down, his liver was shutting down, his kidneys were shutting down, um, and his heart was beating irregularly, uh, um, which had been a problem, too, before the accident. He had noticed that and asked me about it, had me feel his pulse. So... um, so then uh, they moved, they took him off the breathing stuff. They had him on oxygen. They took him off the oxygen mask, put in a breathing tube. But they asked him at one point if he wanted to be resuscitated, which would involve surgery and draining the liquids from his lungs because his lungs were filling with liquids. And uh, he thought about it a long time, and then he said, uh, no, he didn't want to be resuscitated. Um, so then they moved him to a beautiful room overlooking Twin Peaks, snow-covered peaks in Flagstaff. And so he had a bed there, and I stayed all night that night in the hospital, and they were really sweet. It's like they brought me breakfast in the morning, and Jane came back in the morning, and they brought us a couple of big Starbucks coffees. And Jane was joking at first with her dad, you know, seeing, um, oh, they're giving, what are, what are these tubes? They're giving you a milkshake and coffee through these tubes. And uh, she was joking with him. Okay, dad, uh, let me uh, wheel you down 
the quarters. And uh, we can say hello to people, and, uh, and, and we can take all this equipment with us, all these monitors and all these wires, although it might be quite difficult, and John said he didn't want to do that, and Jane said she did. She thought it would be fun, so she was joking with him. She has a good sense of humor, too. So when we got over to the other room, uh, they took him off the monitors, and they would just come in every uh, four hours or so and just take his blood pressure and check him out and turn him so he didn't get bed sores and stuff. And so they gave him um, 48 hours. And uh, so... At one point, I lowered his pain medication with him uh, so that he would be able to be responsive and talk um, because he didn't think he'd be responsive if on, on that heavy dose of pain medication. So they lowered it, but then he became uncomfortable and in pain again, so Jane had him raise it again. I had him raise it some, and then Jane had him raise it more, I think. So then um, Jane and I talk, were talking about what can be done or, or how, how we would handle it when he died. And uh, at first he had uh, kicked us out of the room when we were talking, but later on we were talking in the room and he was pretty unconscious. But I sensed that he was hearing everything. And uh, I told Jane, I thought that he was hearing everything we were saying. And sometimes one of the workers pointed out that when people die, they leave. Uh, like when the, the family goes to get a bite to eat or um, they leave the room for a minute, they, then the person takes that minute to slip out and leave. So Jane and I were talking, and I noticed that John had stopped breathing. And uh, so I pointed that out to Jane. And I, we, Jane had been, before, just before he stopped breathing, for, for about three days, every time Jane was with him, she was holding his hand, and she was telling him she loved him, and he was saying he loved her. And, uh, like, at one point, the first day she got there, he was like, Jane, Jane. And he was so happy to see her. And uh, so I was holding his other hand. And, um, and, and I was telling him also that I loved him. And uh, he told me, like, that he never said before, he said he loved me. And uh, so he was feeling a very loving surroundings. He wasn't in pain. And the nurses were being very friendly to him. And um, and it, so it was a very loving environment. And he just opened up with responding with love. And um, so then when he left his body, I had noticed just, probably an hour or so before, that there was a huge angel that had come um, and was just checking things out. And it was huge because John's a big man. He's six foot one. And this is a huge angel with huge wings. And and he it's like bigger than John. 
And so he was just checking things out. And so after he stopped breathing, Jane said, do you see the angels? And I looked, and the, the huge angel was there. So I spotted John, and he was out of his body. And I said, um, let the angel guide you to the portal uh, for the tunnel of light. And so um, at one point I said, don't give the angels any trouble. <laughs> anyway, I um, I was right with him. And uh, so he was in front of me. The angel was first guiding John to the tunnel of light. And then I was behind John, making sure he found it. And so we went, he, he, so we found the tunnel, the portal to the other side. We found it. And uh, John went, followed the angel in, and I followed John in to the tunnel of light. And uh, I wanted to make sure that he made it. And so he was up ahead of me, and uh, I was observing the tunnel. It was like lights, and the lights were uh, sending energies of different frequencies through clear through me, that a kind of a clearing energy um a kind of a changing my energy and translating that energy to a higher frequency. And John was in front of me, and he said, I, uh, I, I, I said to him, I said, go find Robert Frost. And Jane said, go find the poetry corner. And I said, and go find your jazz friends. Go find Billy Holiday. And I said, uh, go find your friends from PT Boat 77. And he he started to get really excited about seeing them because he dearly loved these people. And so he looked back and he said, "What would I be okay? But he didn't want to leave me here because he wanted to make sure I was okay. And uh, he did, he was worried that I might not be okay. And so I said, I'm going to be okay. And uh, he said, he was still doubtful about it. And he was kind of hesitating in the in the tunnel of light. And I said, um, I'm going to be okay. And he kind of had doubts about it. But he, I, I assured him several times. And, uh, and I kept indicating, go find your jazz friends. And, um, he got. He was getting really excited about uh, seeing his friends, and finally he asked me one time more, "Are you going to be okay?" And I said yes. And so he then he just went forward, and I at that point I had to get out of the tunnel of light because I was starting to get um, disoriented, and so I went back out of the tunnel, and he went forward, and then. Jane and I looked, and the connection between John and I and Jane was getting thinner and thinner as he moved on the tunnel of light. And so then um, he was gone, and uh, I went in, and I 
uh, well, we, the nurse, we told the nurse, and the nurse came in, and then, so we muted as long as we wanted, and then the coroner came in, and they, they put the body in the body bag and got it ready to take away, but um, there was no life left, and his body was turning pale, and um, so we didn't, um, we, for, for, for a couple of days, it's like, I didn't, Jane and I couldn't feel him. Like the thread was gone. And then yesterday, Wynn and I were listening to songs where these songs were uh, choosing a song to send out to um, uh, one of the spirit channels or uh, to send out to people on the mailing list. And John, and, and there was a song from uh, West Side Story, which I really love it. It's like somewhere there's a place for us. But then there was another song, We Shall Be Released, and we played it. And um, it started to seem really, really uh, slow. And I, I could hardly stand listening to it because it was so slow. And I noticed a light around me and um, and a very high frequency. And uh, when said, John's beaming down on you. And then I looked, and it's like John had been, like he was up there in a viewing window open from the higher heavenly realm down to here. And there was John, and there was a couple of his friends in the room. Uh, Jerry, and, uh, Jerry, Seth is yeah. going to cut us Pardon? off any moment. <laughs> Okay, okay, I'll fin- oh, wrap it up. I'll wrap it up. And, but the frequencies, the, the frequencies were extraordinarily high, and John had translated into higher frequencies, and the whole thing was higher frequencies. And time here seemed very slow compared to time there, so that's why the songs seemed so slow. And so that's essentially what happened. All right. Um, you know what? Next week, we're going to do a channeling and ask how that looked from the other side and how that worked. And I think that we decided in talking about this that if Terry wasn't there, that he may have just gone up to the astral and that the fact that someone was there helping him and loving him made him go uh, higher than he might have gone if he died alone. I think that's one of the important things. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, we'll see you next time, Wednesday, Sunday, whenever. And uh, thanks for, uh, Terry, thanks for sharing your experience with John. And maybe we'll send a um, picture of John to everyone on the Spirit Channel so they can see. Okay. <laughs> Terry, are you there? Hello, yeah, Terry. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. Did you get emotional when you listened to that? Yes. Oh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. That was, that was a beautiful show. Yeah. And we're, we're going over now. The whole planet healing. 
And if you're on BBS, don't move because it will, whole plan of healing will be playing on BBS. What happens is we've been doing these calls on conference calls. And when we got on BBS, we started to do like a regular radio show. Like, okay, you're our audience and we have to entertain you. And and it wasn't working. And I said, well, let's just put the conference call on the air. And that's what we've been doing ever since. So, um, let's see here. I'm going to... Unmuted. Thank you from Seattle. Thank you, Cecil. Thank you, everybody. And uh, when we close this call, we are going to be on Whole Planet Healing. You'll hear a bunch of people checking in, and then we'll start. And Whole Planet Healing is totally different from the call you just heard. In fact, that call was different from what we normally do, okay, on Monday nights and on our calls. But it was a beautiful call, and I I came to love John. <laughs> we got along like cats and dogs for a good portion of the time, and but I appreciated him. And so, on that note, we're just going to say goodbye to everybody on this call and move right on to the next. Thank you for being here. Hi, see you on. This session is no longer being recorded. All right, we're on BBS Radio. Yay. Awesome. Hi, hi. Hello. Hi, BBS. Thanks. Thank you, BBS, for being here, and thank you for all the callers who are joining us. And uh, uh, welcome to Whole Planet Healing. Would you like to say your name and location? Hi, Antonio. It's Jeannie and Patricia. Hi, Jeannie. Hi, Jeannie. Hi, everybody. Um, hello, Antonio. It's Jackie yeah. and Julian. Hi, Jackie. Hi, Jackie. Hi, Jackie. Welcome to Hope Hi, Jackie. Healing. Would you like to say your name and location? Hey. Alan Hi, from Alan. New Jersey. Hi, Alan. Hi. Hi, Alan. Joy, Joy, Joy. Hi, Alan. <laughs> Hi, Joy. Hi. Joy, Joy. Not Joy. Joy, Joy. So, Hi. love, love, love. Uh, there you go. If any of the BBS now callers, if any of the BBS callers want to join Whole Planet Healing or call in, then the number's changing. I don't have it, but if you're on Wynn's e- uh, email, then you'll send all the new numbers out. And I have it if anybody wants it. And they're going to post them on the spiritchannel.net. Monica, Monica Everett Washington. Would you like to say your name Hi, and location? Monica. Hi, 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 Monica. Hi
Hi. Hi, Terry. Hi, Terry. Hi. Awesome, Hi. Terry. That was wonderful. Thank you, Terry. Okay. You're welcome. Yeah. Terry, did you get my email? Seven Bonnie. Bonnie, I was looking for it. Uh, what is it under? What's your email? Like, well, what should I look for? I looked, but well, I didn't I'll, see it. Okay, I'll send, send it, it again, again to you. Okay, Okay. Beth. Okay. Thank you. Everybody is here. And All right, Vin. I'm going to mute the phone line. Muted. Things are off. Vin, you're here? I'm here. I can't hear you. Okay. All right, here we go. The recording has started. This is November 15th. 2021, everybody everywhere, whole planet healing. And if you've been listening on BBS and you're continuing to listen, that was kind of an unusual call. And you might gather that Terry is a pretty unusual person um, <laughs> that she was by her friend when he died and she could see an angel come down and pull John into what's called the column of light which when someone dies and they go into that they get pulled into a higher dimension and normally when people die they're in the astral and they can still move from the astral. But I think, Terry, are you there, Terry? Hello, Terry. Oh, yeah, never mind. Yeah. No, I'm here. So I was going to ask you, uh, it seems like it's a little unusual for someone to go into the column of white directly when they're dying. Is that true? I think each case is individual. Um, yeah. It, you know, I mean, like she had um, really kind of moved into the dying phase slowly. At the start of it, he was like, what happened here? What happened? Tell me what happened. Like, he wasn't saying it out loud. He was thinking it, and he was writing it down, what happened, because he couldn't talk, because she had um, the breathing tube in and stuff. Mm -hmm. he, um, but oh, he gradually, uh, over the matter of days, um, his body shut down one thing after another. And... Um, he, he I mean, was, I've heard I, yeah, I've heard this said be, I've heard this said before that um, if somebody is dying, it's good for someone to be with them and hold the loving energy. And it doesn't mean to be with them and say, "Oh my God, you're dying! What am I going to do?" 
you got to get above that. And yeah, the, sometimes like the family will gather around and say, "Don't go, please, don't go, please stay here," and and then they will try their <laughs> best to stay around. But, uh, <laughs> the body's not making it. Uh, um, yeah, but then you said you thought the fact that you were holding that loving energy helped that column of light to come down and take him right at that moment. Am I right? Well, it did loving energy certainly helped in uh, putting him in harmony with the angel. <laughs> um, I was scared he was going to back out. That's why I said don't give the angels any trouble. Uh like that he was going to create a scene or something. I'm not mm-hmm. going. Don't worry. I'm not going. But, you know, um, when he got there, you were, um, were three friends. He, I, I could see he was talking to three friends. One of them was Renee Duke. One of them was Edward Vincent. And both of those people had died. Renee had died the month before John died. And uh, they had been really, really close friends their whole life. Um, their birthdays were the same. They celebrated their birthdays uh, the same day. They had parties together and on their birthday. Um, and he was huge. I mean, he didn't miss a beat. Like, he was up there just really chewing the fat with Renee and Ed, you know, some other person I didn't know. I'd never met the other person. I don't know who it was. But he was having you know, a real good time. You know, I, I got to tell you, you got to write a book called My Life with the Reincarnation of Socrates. Well, I got I got a chapter right now on Zen Chippy, who was Socrates' wife. You know, the, the yeah. um, Shakespeare calls her the, the the worst wife in the history of the world. <laughs> mm-hmm. But but there's some good stories there about that and what I remember. Terry, Terry, Terry has memories of being um, married to Socrates. Right. He was probably the worst. He was probably the worst husband in the history. And you know, when she used to talk to me about Socrates, I said, "Oh my God, Terry, a nutcase." <laughs> and um, well, the he, more he, I, we had we had a lot of disagreements what, about raising children. Yeah. <laughs> with no money in the, the, the more the more I was around John and the more I read about Socrates, the more I could see the kid, you know, it was a fit, you know. Men, limited time for hope and healing. I know we're gonna go into it. All right. So in Thanks, any I... case you know, Terry was seeing angels and then and then at that time when she was seeing angels, she was channeling the Elohim, who is probably 
the highest group on the other side that maintains a connection with this realm. And, um, of course, the regulars on this line know that we have been in constant communication with the Elohim, and Terry channels them. And uh, we're not going to channel on this call. But you will hear a, a reading from one of the channelings. And they're really good guys to get to know. Because when you can make your own connection with them, amazing things can happen in your life. And we're giving people the opportunity to make that connection on these calls. Now, they're not going to be talking to us, but we do have two other calls during the week where we do talk to them. And the numbers are on the spiritchannel.net. And if we're doing this legitimate, which it is, it is a really, really valuable experience to make the connection. We have brought through information, volumes of information about how things work on the other side and how the universe works that has never been in this realm before. So they're on this call, and we're going to be doing a healing call for our planet and for ourselves with them helping. And that note, I'm going to turn it over to Cecil, and he is going to, um, we call it calling in the light. It's just an invocation to make a connection with the higher realms and to bring in protection from negative things that could try to sneak into this energy. And go ahead, Cecil. Thank you, Wim. Father, Mother, God, the one infinite creator, we ask for the presence of the light to surround and protect everyone in attendance, including those on BBS radio. And any negativity be taken to the highest realms of light and be transmuted for the highest and greatest good of all concerned. We see ourselves in the flow of energy radiating from the center of the universe through the galaxies, through our galaxy, the Milky Way, through our solar system, through the outer energy fields of planet Earth, through our bodies, and into the center of the Earth. Right now, we invoke a group energy connection with all those present who are open to do so while maintaining the sovereign integrity of our souls. We invite those sources who are positive, 
service to others, honoring the law of one to join with us. We create a protected space that only the positive has access to. Anything not of that nature must leave now. And back to you, Wim. Thank you, Cecil. And um, usually at this point in the call, I talk a little bit and introduce Terry. And all I want to say is that this is a very special connection. This is not religious. Would probably come under the um, label of spiritual, but it's not spirit. It's like these guys have become so real to us. We talk to them. We ask them questions. The people on the calls have an opportunity to ask questions, and it's it's very hard to believe in your conscious mind that the intelligence that's asking these questions, answering these questions is actually the same intelligence that created the universe. And there's a group of them, millions of them, they don't have bodies. They're just energy beings, but they can talk through somebody that has a body, and they've been talking to us through Terry, and we've been asking them questions about how things that have worked that have never been answered before in this realm. And i just let Terry say hello, and then we'll have Bonnie read an excerpt. We have thousands of the, our conversations available on the internet on the spiritchannel.net. And if any of this reaches you and you think, oh my God, this might be true, unless you reach for it, you'll miss a phenomenal opportunity to speed up your own spiritual growth. Terry, you want to say anything? Uh, just real briefly, hi. It's wonderful to be connected with each and every one of you. Um, you can go to the spiritchannel.net and you can read uh, our channelings and uh, even there's some transcripts up there. Uh, and then uh, back to Andy. Thank you. And, you know, just for the record, Terry has the most amazing, unconditional love. And when she gets in front of people, that love flows through her. And maybe it's not just her love. Maybe it's the Elohim's love as well, using her as a vehicle to express their love and their care for humans who go through a lot of problems and challenges 
and pain in this realm. And on that note, I'm turning it over to Bonnie, and you can hear an example. She goes through every day and picks something and reads it, and you can hear an example of it, of how how they communicate right now. And go ahead, Bonnie. Okay, thank you. All right, we are going to revisit this call that took place on July 25th, 2011. And the topic of the conversation is about the energetic connection, uh, whether it's with the sources, with each other, with your surroundings. And when asked a question, um, and ask that the in the past the raw group have said we are always surrounded by a team of beings who are there to be at our service. I think that's a really nice idea if that's true. Could you explain a little more about that and how to take advantage of that team? And Ra'an to Terry answers, there is a team that is not even thought of or known. It's a part with guardians, guardian beings who watch over an area and give it love and nurturing. There is an intelligence in everything. And one can ask the intelligence of the plant, of the surroundings, of the bush, the tree, of even the town. One can ask and one can get information. So this intelligence is interactive with the individual although the individual very often does not pay attention to this, and the individual can come into a lack of connection with his surroundings by not observing needs of the surroundings. Or one can harmonize with it and pay attention to this. And then the plants and the surrounding intelligences fairies, the divas, will work really hard to support the individual back. Also, there are very large spirits that are guardians of large sectors of the planet, and there are many levels of guardians and intelligence that work together to make sure that the planet And that particular sector is being nurtured. Then there is the angelic realm with angels who watch over groups or individuals and may stay at a distance, but they can come close if they are needed and minister love and care and guidance and healing. Then there are higher forces such as the raw group such as us, the Elohim group, and we work with these lower realms to nourish and support them. 
And when asked, is there any particular historical time when the Ra group has done interventions in this realm that they consider very successful? For example, Sufis and Zen seem to be, well, they're different. Was the Ra group connected with Sufism and in the creation? Did they talk to somebody? Uh, anything the raw group wants to share in the specifics of all of this, we open ourselves up to that information. And raw on through Terry gives us some more information and says, we work with particular individuals who have come from the raw group to be within the realm. And we are available to them. And they often go back to the raw group to do work with us, the raw group. And and we then work with the individual when the individual, as a wanderer, goes back into the realm to work with individuals in the third dimension. And we work with that individual raw member who is working to bring up the tone of the planet, such as yourself. We surround and protect and communicate with that individual. And he has the help of particularly the raw group. And during his work, he becomes an open channel or a bridge for energy to come in from the raw group to the earth plane. And I thought this was a really nice description uh, straight from the source about how they uh, support us uh, in this work. Um, And I surely appreciate that. I will turn it back to you, Wynn. I love you all. Thank you. Thank you, Bonnie. And um, Jennifer is usually here at this point, and she goes through the USGA map um, documenting all of the earthquakes and volcanoes that occurred in the last 24 hours. And when we do this, we have to participate and send calm energy to all of these areas and then our sources add their energy to our energy and we can make a difference in possible um, catastrophes in the future. So Jennifer is not here and um, Depending on time, I'll do part of it when I start my visualization. The purpose of this call is to go through circumstances on our planet that are still not clear how they're going to resolve and to put put in energies for the most positive outcomes possible. And on that note, we're going to start that by opening up the lines 
and let you on the line make your own requests for things that you would like to see shift in a more positive direction. Unmuted. Joy in Squim, Washington. I would like to put Jennifer, Jen Jen, from Greensburg in the light so that she can get the care that she needs. Seems like she's having a bit of a struggle getting the uh, prescriptions or script or whatever it is from the from the doctors. So let's, uh, whatever it is that she needs in all regards for her healing, let's send that to her. And then everybody else that she always talks about on the list, let's put all of those people in the light right now, too. Thank you so much. This is Alicia, and I would like to put into the light all those who are experiencing the effects of the COVID vaccine and those have experienced effects of the virus itself. Um, ask for intervention, transmutation. Thank you. Hi, everybody. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Sounds like Hi. Juanita. Hi, hola, hola. I'm so good to hear everyone's voices. So glad to be on. I really wanted to just um, say I wanted to put um, Winstream, Hyde, and Cherry Brown into the love light and all their hard work for years and how it's, I'm very grateful to, to this program, how it's, it's shifting me. I'm, I'm, I'm amazed. And um, I also want to put my auntie in Florida. She is recovering. She's, um, she's, it's a slow recovery. And for my family in New York, I just got back from New York, and I want to put into the love light all the people that are getting funding and help for these marginalized groups like the homeless people, the veteran vets. They need a lot of care. And the people that are in the 12-step group, that they that they stay sober and that they get resources to become productive members in society. And I want to put myself into the love light for my personal uh, journey and healing on all these very, uh, very deep levels. And I want to put the whole planet and all of God's creatures and every human being from every single continent also into the love into the light and the healing of the earth with all these volcanoes and natural disasters that 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 uh, the earth will get well and so that we can all get well too. Thank you. Tom in San Jose asking for support and protection for all the people working to expose the apparent election fraud, support and protection for all those people working to fix the election process in line with the founding of our country and the Constitution, special support and protection for Sidney Powell, Lynn Wood, Mike Rendell, and for Mike's symposium. And blessings to Morgan. Thank you. This is Jody and Issaquah. I like to put all of the super soldiers in the love light. 
This is Jeannie in Citrus Heights. I'd like to place into the light the inner vision, the intuition, the knowing, the understanding, and the awareness of every individual human being on the earth at this time, whether in physical bodies right now or not. Everyone who is a member of the human race, let their minds be filled with light and clarity. Let them see clearly which forces mean to constrict and control and use them and which forces serve to expand and enrich their lives and the lives of their fellow humans. Let the vision come clearly with love, not with fear. Let each individual know what it is that he or she is meant to do on this earth at this time and give to each the courage to act accordingly. Thank you. This is Alan. Could we as a group embrace what Jeannie has just shared with us? As we look around what's been happening in the last couple of months, there's definitely a shift that's manifested. It's happening in places like Australia, in England, in the United States. It's like there's marbles in a bottle and it's been turned upside down and it's being shipped constantly. And a lot of that which has been hidden is now being revealed as the marbles literally fall out of the glass bottle. So my hope is that we would agree, maybe that word is not the wrong, the right one to say, but we are told that if we agree, if we embrace, if we use our free will, if you will, that that light will penetrate the veil and our sources will see it, just as Terry shared with her friend and how she guided him into that tunnel. They heard, they saw, they responded. And I believe, because I've experienced it in my own life, that when we do ask, they do hear, and very often they do respond, and it is a blessing to receive. Thank you. Muted. All right, we're going to do my closing visualization. I want to thank each of you who took the time to put your intention into this field of energy. And I repeat and I emphasize, when we do this, our sources are here amplifying the energy and the intentions that we put out. And we're not talking to them on this call, but we talk to them on many other calls. And historically, when they have done interventions and when they've led to miracles, which they have done, and we've witnessed that, people have thought of them as God. And when I've questioned them about that, they say, um, <laughs> we're, not, we're not God in the way people think of God. We're like your higher level big brothers. You're part of us. We're part of you. And we come together as a team and we can help. <laughs> Those of you that listened to our six o'clock call heard uh, Terry talk about 
something John Sanborn wrote, and and apparently something leaked through. You know, when, when, on a conscious level, he never um, responded to the work Terry and I were doing, and he didn't, uh, other than say, talk about the sky people. But he has made huge contributions to this realm that I know about, and probably some that I don't know about. And um, and I loved, and she, Terry, reminded me, I forgot, we're not raw unless you are, too. Think about that deeply. We're not raw unless you are, too. And uh, on that note, I'm going to do a quick rundown on the earthquakes and volcanoes today. And um, we're going to start out in Hawaii, and it seems like there's always one little thing that keeps happening in Hawaii. Pahela, Hawaii, 2.5 on the Richter scale. And then we move westerly in the Pacific Ocean. And it looks to me like we're going about four or 5,000 miles westerly. And we end up in, it says, the Japan region, 4.9 on the Richter scale. And then we go southwest of Japan, and we're in the Philippines, 4.5 on the Richter scale. And then we go south of the Philippines, looks like about a thousand miles. And we are in Indonesia with a 4.8. And then we go another thousand miles at least, maybe more, Still in Indonesia was a 4.4. And now we go, let's see here, where is this? We go north and we go into Asia. We're going quite a few few miles north, and it looks like about 4,000 miles north into the mainland of China, and it's got some long Chinese name to it, the Zhejiang Gansu Jinghai border region in China, and there was a four on the Richter scale. And now we're going to go, there's nothing else on the coast of China or the coast of Russia, which is where 
the what's it called now? The I can't remember. Uh, I say it every night. I can't remember the the Ring of Fire. That's the Ring of Fire, and we go across the Pacific Ocean from Russia. And there's a little swarm of things going on in, in, in and around Alaska. I see seven things in that area. The first one's in the ocean, south of Alaska, 3.1 on the Richter scale. The next one is moving inland, 4.4 in Ashiok, Alaska. And 2.8 in Chignik, Alaska. Chignik, boy, what funny names. 2.6 in Ashiok, Alaska. That's two on Ashiok. 14.4. And then, oh, it looks like a couple hundred miles away. 2.2. And then we go up to Chenega, Alaska, 2.6. That actually looks like it's the ocean in the Gulf of Alaska, um, south of the mainland in Alaska. And then we got a 3.3 in the mainland. Susitna, Susitna, Alaska. And now we're going down through the coast of Canada and there's nothing going on. We go to the Pacific Northwest in the United States and there's nothing going on. And then we go to Parkfield, California, before we have our first episode on the coast, where we have a 3.3. And then we go inland. We have a 2.8 in Thomas Place, Alaska. And that looks like it's about 200 miles from Parkfield. We're kind of the Northern California area. And now we're going to go way up north, another, I would say, 500 miles. Stanley, Idaho, 2.5. And I think there was a thing in Stanley, Idaho yesterday. And now we're going to go... Almost a thousand miles to Clinton, Oklahoma. There's a 2.8. Now we're going towards Baja, California, which of course is Mexico. And there was a 4.2 in Libertad, Mexico. And we're going to go 
works here is something in the middle of the United States. I said it. Clinton, Oklahoma. A 2.8. And now we go down through Florida and past Cuba and going easterly. And we have a 2.0 in Puerto Rico. If we go down to South America, we see four point three in Chile, a four point six in Argentina, another four point four in Argentina. And way down in South America, now this is in the Pacific Ocean off of South America, and in the Ring of Fire area, a 4.4, and it's called West Chile Rise. And if we go another, looks like, 1,500 miles west in the middle of the ocean is a 4.6 in the southern east Pacific rise. And I think we've covered all those areas. And if we, if we continue going into Africa, we don't see anything happening in Africa. And nothing in Europe. Oops, here's one in England, Scotland. 3.1 and we now have 5.2 in southern Iran And I think we've covered everything. And I didn't mention volcanoes. And I think there's a volcano in the Canary Islands, which is really serious. And we're sending cloud energy to all of these things. And now I'm quickly going to do the earthquake zones and work on the fault lines in all these zones. Of course, we do all this stuff on earthquakes because many people, from prophets to scientists, have predicted potential catastrophes and earth changes perhaps in this period we're in now. And so we're trying to offset that. So far, we've been successful.
and we thank both the earth and our sources for helping us. And also the guardian spirits all over our planet that monitor the different areas. So we do the ring of fire, the land masses surrounding the Pacific Ocean, and we just put a column of light down asking for calm on all of the earthquake faults, which would be the earthquakes of the future. Then we go to the New Madrid fault line centered in St. Louis and the surrounding states. We put a column of white hundreds of miles in diameter coming down on that area, bringing calm energy. And then we go to the Mid-Atlantic fault line in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean going from the North Pole thousands of miles down to as far as the tip of South America. And we put a longitudinal column of light sending calm energy. Anywhere else in in the world, on the planet, it's not in any of these areas where there are fault lines. We ask our sources to help and bring calm energy to all those areas. And any earthquakes or volcanoes that need to occur because the earth needs to release stress, we send calm energy. and ask that changes can happen gradually and away from population centers. We now go through the surface of the Earth into the Earth's energy field, or you could say the soul of the Earth. And as we have learned, The Earth is alive. The Earth can sense us. The Earth has to process information. The Earth has a soul similar to ours. And we want to penetrate the surface of the Earth into the interior and send calming energy and healing energy to the energy field of Earth. And we thank her for her help where she's giving it and keeping catastrophes away. And we also give the Earth gratitude for allowing us to have physical bodies on her planet.
we go back to the surface of the Earth, and we're going to work with some of the other out-of-balance situations on our planet, starting with the coronavirus. And we ask that it be rendered harmless. We go to the immune systems of humans, and we ask they can be strengthened. We go to the vaccines and ask that toxins in the vaccines can be transmuted. There's a lot of indications. Without getting into a, um, an argument about it, that the vaccines have things in them that are not good for humans. We go to what we call the negative elite and all their plans for control disregarding free will. And we ask that the strength of the free will choice of humans be increased that more humans become aware of all the agendas playing out on our planet. And put their own intentions for those plots of the negative to shift and not work. We go to human suffering, and we ask that any way, shape, or form that people can find relief from their suffering and connect with the higher energies, let it be done. We go to the governments of our planet, and we ask for qualities of leadership, if not present today, that will be present tomorrow. Things like benevolence, compassion, wisdom, we go to interventions, we ask that our realm is protected from nuclear weapons going off. We ask for transmutation of toxic materials, of chemtrails, mentioning coronavirus a second time, 
of radioactivity. Anything in air, food, water, or medicine, which is harmful for a human, we ask it to be transmuted. And we bring the flow of energy from the higher realms to our planet. And create holograms of protection where it's permitted. We bring these energies into our home landing on our rooftop, including the Christ energy. You see that energy moving through our entire home, clearing any negativity. We see it moving around the outside of our home creating a barrier to negativity. We see it moving through our body, strengthening the energy flows in our body, in our chakras, breaking down obstacles, breaking down past life patterns, protecting us from anything that would invade our body with the intent of doing harm. And we thank you all for being here, for helping to create this energy, and for leaving the lines open for those of you who want to stay on the phone line, and if you're on BBS, just you can be silent and hold this space, and just go on to the next thing in your life. On that note, we'll see you next time. Thank you all for being here.